0: Hey, welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Check the Mark. I'm Mark Lucero, and I'm recording this on Sunday night, post-French Open. We are putting a bow on it. The Roland Garros 2022 edition is over. So the past week, I've been in the COVID protocols. (laughs) I got to watch a lot of the French Open. got to watch a lot of Week 2, which is a blast. Let me give you a little preview. We got Peter Smith a little later on, but Peter actually had COVID this week also, so we were just two peas in a pod a few miles away from each other, watching week two, watching Coco Goff make her move in the second week, watching Jessica Pagula make her run, getting into that top 10 in the world, breaking that milestone for the first time, which is super cool to Jess and David Witt and their whole team, Um, watching the men's tournament break down and progress, seeing some of the upsets, seeing some of the young players start to make their moves, seeing Carlos Alcaraz come up just a little short. Again, remember, development and not a straight line, there are little twists and turns in there. Um, watched a lot of basketball, watched a lot of NHL. Let me get back to the COVID. So I got back a week ago, a little over a week ago. I got back Friday night. Stevie played Jill Simone Thursday night in Chartier, which was a cool experience. I wish the match would have gone differently, but Jill's played unbelievable. Took a test in a locker room, got cleared for travel. That came back negative, jumped on the bird Friday, was home Friday afternoon. Saturday had a little bit of a sore throat, nothing big. Sunday got worse, that sore throat, stupidly went to Top Gun, Maverick, see it, unbelievable movie. It's Freaking awesome. As good as the first one. I easily say that, as good as the first one, I want to see it again. Anyway, I just thought it was a little sore throat, you know, after going continent to continent, sometimes you're haggard, you don't sleep great, didn't sleep great the night before, up late packing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Monday morning, woke up, felt horrendous, knew something was wrong, boom, tested positive. So, like I said, entered the protocols for the rest of the week. Monday, I could barely stay awake. The rest of the week, watched a fair amount of tennis, mixed in with some naps. So, interesting thing is having the WHOOP, having a little wearable technology. Some people like to use an Aura Ring, some people use an Apple Watch. Some people use that on Fitbit, maybe still, I'm not sure. I use the WHOOP, seeing my stats, looking back, knowing that I was sick prior to testing positive Monday, looking at my stats from Friday night, Saturday night, and then my stats throughout the week when I was isolating were absolutely horrendous. I think the worst night, my recovery score, which is the score that the WHOOP gives you every morning when you wake up, kind of rates your quality of sleep and your level of physical preparedness for the next day. My worst day was at 3%. That's in the red. It's like a stoplight. You get red for bad, yellow for you know, eh, and then green for good when your body's ready to go. I was in the red for a bunch of days. That 3% night was my worst night. I think my resting heart rate was, normally I'm 47, 48 beats per minute at night when I'm sleeping. This day I woke up, I think I was around 80 degrees, excuse me, 80 beats per minute was my overnight resting heart rate, which is horrendous. My blood oxygen had dropped pretty low. I think it was at 93% according to the WHOOP. Uh, My respiratory rate, which is breaths per minute, was way, way higher. All signs pointing to my body trying to something off trying to fight off an invader and again the stats on the whoop aren't perfect I don't think any wearables is perfect and as reliable as a medical device might give you but they provide a really good baseline so for this I was measuring against my normal baseline my normal night's sleep that I've built up that you know the, the device has built up studying over time so I had something to compare it to I also dealt with a fever I could see my skin temperature was super high overnight all these changes that I could see that my body was working through something. As the week progressed, my sleep quality finally started getting better. I started getting more deep sleep. You could see your sleep stages and how long you're in each stage. Started getting more deep sleep, less light sleep. And I finally, I think Friday, when, Friday night, maybe two nights ago, I got into the green recovery, which was amazing. You know, having that wearable device was actually really cool. <laughs> it gave me something to look at each day, but it also, of helped me know what i could expect that day last night again my sleep was really good i think it was the first night when all my all my parameters i think the five categories that it measures overnight were all right at my normal stats and lo and behold on day number eight since having had symptoms i finally popped a negative test tonight and was able to exit protocols took the dog for a walk wore the mask outside just to be safe but Usually when you get the rapid antigen test at this point in your infection, you know that you are no longer contagious. So that was a big, big, big boom for myself going into this coming week. All that being said, let's get to Peter Smith. All right. Well, joining me now on Check the Mark, Peter Smith, former head coach, geez, almost every big school, head coach, Fresno State, head coach, Pepperdine. Head coach, University of Southern California, six national titles, countless All-Americans and individual accolades, and more father-son national championships than I can even imagine. Peter Smith, welcome.
1: Hey, Mark. Great to have me. <laughs> it is have great have to you. have you. <laughs> it's great. It's just Pe- great to have human interaction. It's been a week, so um,
0: God, I've watched Peter- TV. <laughs> You and I, we've both been COVID positive. We've both been isolating for a week. It's funny how it all kind of went down. So, for people that don't know, Peter and I work with Stevie Johnson together. We were in LA. Monday, I text Steve that I was COVID positive. And so he texts me back, great, I'm gonna go to Kramer Club. I'll practice with Peter. Can you find a couple guys for Tuesday and Wednesday? So, my task for Monday, in between probably eight to 10 hours of naps, was finding Steve some practice guys, which eventually I did. And then Tuesday morning, I woke up to the group text from Peter. <laughs> you were saying you were positive.
1: Yep. And we hadn't seen each other in a long time. It's definitely going around, that's for sure. And it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, I guess it's uh, the modern day cross. You got to carry this cross for a week and uh, <laughs> and then you're good. It's, It's everybody's having to go through it. So it's it's more just a real irritation. But fortunately for me, it happened in the second week of the French Open. So I watched more tennis than I've watched in a long time. So that was uh, pretty enjoyable.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Usually when I come back from tournaments, just got back from Paris on Friday, I don't watch as much tennis maybe as I would like to you know busy with family and all that sort of thing what were sir, your impressions this second week you know particularly today we watched rafa win his title we watched swiatek win yesterday what were your thoughts i guess on this back end of the tournament
1: yeah you know super super exciting and just super uh important how much uh belief plays a role in so many things i, I just you know watching these guys and you know watching a rune play who you know? I, I didn't think he had. Uh, a, you know, he obviously has an incredible game, but he has some holes in his game because of his youth. And but he, the guy's belief was amazing, um, and he was. I really thought he was able to get through his match with Sissi Paz because of that. You know, and he was just dead even with Rude, and you know we were talking earlier about the body language from Rafa um against Djokovic and how good his body language was and you know I think Rafa he gets a little ticked when he misses a shot but it's always this fighting spirit he has and then you know watching the finals of doubles yesterday which I always love watching matches like that because that is so meaningful to all those guys and you know they just won it so badly Austin going for his first grand slam and you know and just Jules, trying to win, be the oldest guy ever, and just to see them down three match points and just just never waver, I mean, it's just incredible. Like, they were down break point, break point, and, they, and their their mindset was just incredible. And, and really, that pulls so many people through matches. It's, it's just such an important mental game.
0: You know, I'm always interested in talking to coaches like you, coaches that have, have been around and coaches that have seen a lot of tennis. I'm interested, you know, what you see in those moments, and it makes me think about watching your great college teams, the way that they played with belief in the big moments, the way they went out and tried to win points and not wait for their opponents to lose, the way they played aggressive in the big moments. How did you sort of cultivate that within your teams, especially those those teams that really achieved at the highest levels?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're, you're amazed at how all of those guys played, um, in those moments because, you know, earlier in the year, we'd have moments where we wouldn't be brave or, you know, we'd get angry or we'd falter in one way or another, but, you know, just being in, in the, you know, we won five championships, not six, but we being in that moment um, and watching, you know, there's something we always trained for. That is for sure. Um, I, I, I knew, you know, having watched so many times and, and really having been unsuccessful that in those bigger moments against, you know, worthy opponents, they are never going to give it to you that just doesn't happen. I mean, that's, if you're, if you're hoping that your opponent gives it to you, that's a, a very weak minded approach and it's just not going to happen with, against really good players. And, you know, so, you know, that it starts very early with all of them starts in the recruiting process, but it also starts when they're, you know, first on campus, getting them comfortable at net, getting them comfortable coming to net. And, you know, so when, when that's they're in that moment, not necessarily as a freshman, although that can happen to certain guys as a freshman, they 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 don't have a fear of going to the net and you know doing a lot of drills like that and and playing matches the matches like that, being ready for that moment. Um, you know when you have great great players like I remember you know guys like Ray Sarmiento, D Win. Uh, Stevie, they were all super comfortable coming forward. So I didn't have to spend a lot of time working on that with them. But the other guys, you know, a lot of guys just, you know, junior tennis is not, you know, about coming forward. It's about being steady. It's about outlasting your opponent. Um, A lot of matches in junior tennis are lost because the other guy gives up or taps out or, however you want to say it and and one guy's super steady and the other guy breaks mentally and then you know and then just being as a coach you can't win the match at that moment but you can certainly lose it and just being super cool and, and being uh very grateful and appreciative that i have that moment my team has that moment our coaches have that moment, and and I, I just know when I'm when I'm in those moments, remembering those moments that I was always the most appreciative person in the stadium. I, I just I knew what it meant, and I, I was just happy to, happy to be
0: there. So you found yourself able to enjoy it.
1: You no, know, I, I loved it. I, you know, I you were I you can see it in those matches. Um, yeah it's it's tough at times, but you know I knew that I was living my dream and my team's dream that you know we had set forth nine months earlier to to get to this point and and just to just like I you know told my teams to you know to be their best to enjoy that moment to smile at that moment i you know I did also and and that just doesn't happen. you know I would really, really work on it from, you know, weeks ahead of time, but even that day I would, I would exercise till I was blue in the face. I mean, I can remember running sometimes as many as 10 miles that day, just trying to get everything out of my system. I can remember going on a six mile run, doing warm-up, and then just having the feelings come and then going on like another two or three mile run. And just, you know, just the only thing I worried about that day was was just putting myself in that right frame of mind. Um, And, and, and again, that's not going to win the match, but I certainly just didn't want to lose it for the team.
0: You know, being around pro tennis, the the way that I guess I have over the last 10 plus years, you hear a lot of people sort of maybe deride college tennis in some ways from your seat, in college tennis and then seeing some, you know, pro tennis really up close over the last few years, looking the other way, what do you think pro tennis, pro coaches or or the tour in general, I guess, where do you think pro tennis falls short or could do better like college tennis does or college coaches or college programs?
1: Ooh, that's a big question. Um, You know, I mean, I, I think from a, from a coach's perspective, which is how I've always looked at things. And, um, that was the lens I always looked through. I mean, uh, you know, I've run some low level ITFs and really enjoy, you know, running those like 15 K's or 25 K's, which I've run. Um, but you know, it's, it's just completely different. And, and, and really since I've left college tennis, I think it's changed um because and it was changing as i left um you know the the student athlete has more and more power you know uh and i don't know that that's great for 18 to 20 year olds um and i don't think the coach has too much power in professional tennis uh it's a little hard when the employee owns the company um -hmm. you know but you know i you know, look, professional tennis at the highest level is just uh, so incredible to watch. But, you know, tennis is tennis. Uh, I I don't care if you're watching, you know, the finals of the French Open, which we watched today, or you're watching, uh, you know, an ITF or a college match or a junior match. I mean, at some point, you know, somebody's going to, you know, give in a little bit more mentally. Um, and, you know, body language is important. Belief is important. You know, making balls is important. And then what you do with them, it's, it's, it, it really is great. You can see the parallels always. I mean, the problem in as you go up the ladder is the difference between winning and losing gets just smaller and smaller. You know, and in a good pro match, it might be one or two points in a set really one or two points and you know in a junior match it could be 20 points that's the difference but um just just those very very small percentage points and and that's actually why coaching can be so important in the pro match because the the difference is so small so if as a coach you can make a one percent difference that's a can be the difference between winning and losing um and so, and I think in, in college matches, it's maybe three to 5%. Uh, in a really good match, it's, you know, two to 4%. But, you know, that's, I don't know. That's, it was a wide open question. So that's how I, I took it.
0: <laughs> no, that's was good. It was good. You know, Peter, you, you've played a huge influence on me. I don't know if you know how much, but so many of the things that we've talked about over the years have really, really made a a big impression on how i approach what i do and how i prepare to do kind of what i do speaking in terms of the before match preparation the personal stuff that you do you know prior to competition the running you know for me usually it's kind of meditation or maybe some yoga how did you i guess uncover that in the first place were you you know too tight or, or too wound up early in your career in matches or is it something that sort of someone mentored you To sort of incorporate into your routine
1: yeah um you know i think the best way to learn anything in life is failure um (laughs) you know i've failed a lot in my life and uh so i i I think the good thing about for me with failure is you know when i fail i very introspective and really look at different things and when i was playing i i was just a ball of nerves. Um, I was very uh, emotional out there and, you know, that was, uh, that was hard for me and I was reading a book. I don't remember which book it was and it was a book about the final and the 60s of Wimbledon and uh, the reporter was going to uh, Ken Roseball's, you know, flat uh, for an interview before the final and he showed up and he wasn't there and his roommate said, oh, Kenny's out on his uh, five-mile run, shaking, shaking out the cobwebs. <laughs> and, you know, so you start thinking, like, holy moly, he went on a five-mile run before a, a potential five-set match at Wimbledon. How good a shape is this guy in? And so I just started going on runs before my pro matches. And I was like, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? uh and i said okay the worst thing that can happen is i can get in better shape and you know i i started my matches way more fresher um mentally and sharper and and i got in better shape uh you know 2 miles was enough for me <laughs> to shake out the cobwebs and and it it just made a huge difference in how i competed and and i really i took that past then i mean there's not every match that you're totally you know tense or nervous but in the bigger matches you know that's that's important and and then you know my first few years coaching i i was like god i gotta lose this tenseness i gotta you know super tense you know for for a long time and then i was like oh you idiot like like approach it like you know you're playing and you know i i I tried to do that a lot when i coached i tried to approach it as like I was the guy's doubles partner instead of their coach. And, you know, cause when you're playing doubles with someone, you have a, a certain rapport with them. That is just a lot of fun. I mean, half the time you don't even talk about tennis. And so I, I tried to, you know, always approach things as a, as a, as a player. And, and that made a huge difference. And, you know, there were wild, even my Pepperdine teams, the whole team would like go on a two mile run with me before the match. And, I do remember that, um, you know, having the whole team go with me and and making suggestions. And so it just, you know, just morphed from one thing to another. And you you just, you know, hopefully you learn from your mistakes. And I had enough of them to learn. And I was smart enough to learn from them.
0: Well, one of the other things along those lines that you had mentioned to me that I think took some pressure off me as a coach was that the guys or girls if it's a big match they're ready to play they're ready to go you don't need to do this you know this pump up speech or find the right words they're going to be ready to play right
1: oh 100 i mean jim sweeney was a football coach at um uh, fresno state and river school whatever school i went to like when i was at long beach state george allen was the coach i tried to spend as much time with george allen um you know seth greenberg who's now an uh, ESPN. He was the basketball coach. He was actually the assistant. So I tried to spend a lot of time around those guys and and in those other sports because you know tennis can be you know, it can just be two tennis. <laughs> and those other sports <laughs> can be you know let's you know bang some heads in the locker and things like that. It's but I remember Jim Sweeney telling me like no um, no speech before a match has uh, before a game has ever won a game. You give him a speech and he was a great motivational speaker. You give him a speech and they forgot it by the time they got to get to the field, (laughs) you know, worry about preparation, you know, worry about, you know, I always thought my body language, how I acted, if I was nervous during warm up, if I was, you know, acting a certain way during the match, that to me was way, way more important than anything I said to them, because, you know, everybody's got these, you know, it's nice, you know, in a movie that someone says a nice speech, but it, it, it it's not reality. <laughs> All
0: right. Last question. So I mentioned earlier, I, I think you've won multiple father-son championships with each of your three boys, with Riley, with Tanner, with Coulter. Is that correct? Yes. So beyond the trophies for a new dad like myself, how do you build... It's the relationships with each of those boys that I'm most envious of. How do you build those... You know, how does tennis stay as this bond that you guys all share and that there's no sort of bad feelings over tennis, which I I think is very possible for people that work in the business. How do you build such great relationships with those three boys over 20-something years in the game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um my experience pays a plays a huge role in this uh I was uh dissatisfied with my relationship with my father and and specifically my relationship with my father and tennis and I'd seen over the years kids that I coached uh not having the best relationship with their parents um because of tennis and you know i I just i i I gave each of them a talking to in the hospital and, 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 really just said, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best. Like, this is it. Like, you know, when Tanner was born, uh, it was like something, there was a light in me. And I think most fathers probably go through this. I was, it was a real aha moment. Like, this is why I'm here on earth. Like, you know, you're always wondering mm-hmm. like what, and, and when he was born, I was like, Oh, this is why I'm here. I'm here to be Tanner's father. I'm here to be Riley's father, Coulter's father. And, you know, so I was a tennis coach. And I I played every sport growing up. And I wanted them to have that experience. And I, uh, but I couldn't, I didn't have the time to be the baseball coach, the basketball coach. I tried. I was their baseball coach. I was their basketball coach. I was always the assistant, but. Mostly I could be their tennis coach. It was just uh, convenient. And I really wanted them to have a great relationship with me. And I also wanted them to have a great relationship with tennis because I knew if they had a good relationship with tennis, then the chances would have a good relationship. You know, so it was, and so I was always finding ways to make tennis exciting, make tennis fun, and, and, and just be, always pretty excited about it and and it was really genuine i i mean i you know we i i'm i have a great relationship with each one of my boys and and it's different with each one of them but we have great memories uh because of tennis and you know i get i get sad now that i can't watch the two older ones play as much (laughs) um but and i treasure watching culture play but you know just playing you know, I, I talked to so many fathers they're like, oh I'm not good enough to win the father son. I'm like, that's not it. Like mm-hmm. I would still play all those if we had lost first round or you know, obviously winning's more fun than losing, but but you know, when you play with your, your kid it's it's just that experience and and some of our losses are just as funny and exciting and Memorable as our wins. I mean, you know, I can, you know, us getting mad at each other, Riley and I, like <laughs> me screaming at Riley, shake his hand, shake his hand, the match is over, you lost the match. And I mean, we, you know, there was a lot of emotion out there. And, uh, you know, so, you know, that's those memories are what bind us. And, uh, you know, I'll take my father son victories over anything that's ever happened on the court, um, with me. And it's, it's just super, super special. And when you're out there competing with your, your child, your son, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what, but you know, how you do and how that goes depends on how they play. And, you know, I've never felt more nerves than serving out certain matches with them. And because you're determining their happiness and that doesn't happen very often in life, but, but yeah, I just, Yeah, I'm super blessed, I'm super blessed, and I'm super blessed to have a a wife that went along with all of it, too. And, you know, Tammy's been just an incredible partner and an incredible mother and, and parent in her own
0: right. Yeah, big, big shout out to Tammy, and congratulations to you and Tammy on 32, the anniversary this week.
1: 32 years, and you know, what I gave her for her anniversary this year was no COVID. Uh, you know, it's been interesting. You know, she she must have said to me a hundred times this week, "Back the f up, piglet." You know, I'm, I'm I get near her, she's like, "Hey, hey, hey, back up, get away from me, piglet." So, oh, Peter, we, we met, listen, man, had a good week.
0: <laughs> I want to thank you though for for being such a good friend and mentor and, and person who's you know played so many. I guess different roles in, in my own life. Maybe some even without you being aware. But uh, thank you for, you know, your your trust. When I was working with Riley as part of the USDA, you know, thanks for your you know guidance. You know, post usta and I appreciate your, you know that your friendship and Tammy and all the boys uh, to this day. And I look forward to seeing you in person when we're both in the clear.
1: Yeah, you know, it's. I think that's been one of the great great um, parts of coaching Stevie is getting closer with you and sharing so many moments that, that coaches share um, with, you know, the, the great wins that he's had and, you know, the tough losses and the training sessions and, you know, so that's that's been a, a real uh, pleasure and joy. I mean, we didn't even delve into, you know, you coaching Riley and losing that bet. That's, that's a classic. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so that was, I mean... Riley was a tough kid. He's playing. The USGA is like, ah, oh, you know, this, that, the other. His wrist is hurt, and I'm like, his wrist is broken. His right wrist. And, and, and Mark's like, if if it's broken, I'll give you a box of candy. Well, it was broken. I'm not. A big I have one other. I have guy. one other
0: great Riley story to this day is when uh, that same year they were playing. I think it was one of the days they were playing the best of five matches, and. One of the coaches, one of the senior USTA coaches was on his court and Riley was chipping forehand returns. And this is, gosh, this is like nine years ago before more guys were chipping the returns. And the coach was like, Riley, name me one good player who hits forehand slices. And Riley said, look at him dead in the eye, I do. (laughs) It was like one of the more Riley responses.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that kid was not short on... (laughs) on a a strong opinion that's for sure
0: (laughs) to this day one of my favorite years
1: 25th uh, birthday today so century riley smith yeah
0: well anyway thank you mark peter again yeah man thanks for your generosity thanks for your time and uh, i'm glad you're feeling better
1: yeah you too let's let's get fully negative baby
0: hey this has been another episode of check the mark thank you for listening i deeply deeply appreciate your time You know the drill. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tell a friend. This has been Check the Mark. I'm coming to you next from the grass. Jumping on the bird in a couple days. Heading over to England. See you in London. Catch you later. I'm out.